Luke chapter 2, and we're going to pick up the reading here in this chapter, verse 25, and we'll read through to verse 35. So, Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, let's hear the word of the living God. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same, was a, same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother, <coughs> excuse me, they marveled at those things which were spoken of, by, of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Amen. And we trust and ask the Lord to bless the reading of His Word to our souls. Let's just still ourselves in prayer and look to the Lord to bless us and pray along. That the Lord will use His Word to speak to those who are not saved, not ready. That the Lord will minister unto them. So let's unite in prayer. Eternal God, loving Father, we thank the Lord for Thy presence with us. We thank the Lord that we are found here in Thy house. It's Thy day, the last day of 2023. It is mercy and grace that finds us here. We thank you for all who have assembled. And Lord, You are the one who knows the hearts of all. Lord, from the very youngest to the oldest, there is nothing hidden from Thee. The outward veneer, the outward facade, O oh God, may fool many. But Lord, it doesn't fool Thee. You're the one who knows. And I pray, O Father, that the word that Thou hast given, believe we have the word for this evening. And we pray that that word, O God, will be taken to the hearts of those who are not saved by the power of the Spirit. O God, that Thou would, O God, that Thou would reveal unto them Jesus Christ and their great need of Him. We pray, O God, that Thou will use this word for the salvation of the lost, for the edification of Thy people, and for the exaltation of Thine own and Thy glorious name. So, Lord, hear prayer. And I pray, Lord, now as a candidate, one who stands in need of the fresh cleansing of the blood of the Lamb and an infilling of the Spirit, and by faith I take the promised Holy Ghost. For Thou hast said that if we ask, we shall receive. And so, Father, I receive by faith the Spirit of the Lord. And I pray that Thou will help me to speak as thus and thus saith the Lord. Elevate all attention. O God, take away the lethargy that would so cling to the mortal frame at the close of a day. And we pray, O God, that Thou will quicken us according to Thy word. Lord, hear prayer. Bring glory to Thy Son. For this we ask all in Jesus' precious and His worthy and wondrous name. Amen. Now, everything our Savior did, He did according to the law. When the Lord Jesus came into the world to save His people from their sins, He willingly put Himself under the law, and became voluntarily subject to the law in all things as a man. 
And he did so because God cannot justify the guilty at the expense or the disregard of his holiness. Righteousness must be maintained and justice must be satisfied in the exercise of mercy, love, and grace. He, he who is our God and Savior is a just God and Savior. And as we're told in Proverbs 16 and verse 6, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And here in Luke chapter 2, and especially in verses 21 to 24, the Holy Ghost shows us that the Lord Jesus from the very beginning submitted to all the ordinances and institutions of the law as a man, that he might by his obedience, even in obedience unto death, bring in an everlasting righteousness and put away the sins of his people forever. Now when Christ was just a baby, eight days old, he was circumcised, as we read there in verse 21. Circumcision was instituted under the law, and was an outward symbol of the spiritual operation upon the heart by God, the removal of the stony heart, and the giving of a new fleshly heart, one with a new principle of life within, given by the new birth. But Christ had no sin. Why then was He circumcised? Well, it was as our surety that He was circumcised, and by it, he identified as one who partook of flesh and blood and who took on him the seed of Abraham and not the nature of the angels. Circumcision was legally a required pledge of every Israelite that he was a debtor to keep the whole law. And by submitting to this ordinance of the law, the Savior made himself a debtor to keep the whole law. That's what we're told in Galatians chapter 5 and the verse 3. By his circumcision, he became a debtor to keep the whole law. And that's exactly what he did. He left nothing unpaid to God's law. When circumcised, it was the custom that the child would be named. And while the traditional practice was performed by Mary and Joseph at that time, he, the incarnate God, was already named from his mother's womb. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Then, according to Leviticus chapter 12, and the verses 3 and 4, for another 33 days Mary was considered unclean. Unclean in the sense that she was not permitted to go to the temple, nor partake in any religious service with the congregation. These were called the days of our purification, after which, according to the law of Moses, once again, the Lord Jesus was brought to the temple to be presented unto the Lord, for he was the firstborn of Mary. Now, the designation firstborn is given a number of times to Christ. He is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the firstborn of every creature. He is the firstborn from the dead. And throughout the Old Testament, the preeminence of the Lord Jesus was typified by an effect of the many uh, examples and types given. The first, the firstling of the flock, the firstborn, the firstfruits. Everything recorded in the Old Testament 
foreshadows him who is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the sum and the substance of all things in the salvation of his people. The firstborn symbolized a father's might and strength. It was a position of primacy in the family, and there was a privilege of the double portion that they received. Every firstborn belonged to the Lord. Read of that in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 2. And was to be sanctified and redeemed by a sacrifice. And this is what Mary and Joseph were doing when they brought Jesus to the temple. Though he was sinless and therefore needed no redemption from the curse, yet he still submitted himself to this ordinance once again as he identified with his people. And in Mary and Joseph's offering, in their sacrifice, we see the depths of poverty to which the possessor of heaven and earth came in order that we would know the riches of his grace. As Paul writes in one of his epistles, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And it was while they were there at the temple doing all things according to the law, that they had an encounter with a man called Simeon, recorded in the verses that we read tonight, verses 25 to 35. And that's the portion that I want to focus on this evening, under the heading, Christ, our light and glory. Christ, our light and glory. Four points this evening. Firstly, notice a personal disclosure. In verse 25, we are given some very limited information about a man called Simeon. We read there, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. This is the only place in Scripture this man is mentioned. His name means God hears or God is listening. And some have speculated that this man was a priest. Others said that he was the son of a famous and distinguished teacher in Jerusalem called Hillel. But the fact is, we don't know. More than likely, this man was just a layman. But the Holy Ghost, he draws our attention to him with the word, Behold, look at this. Here's something to take note of. Here's a man who is in the temple who is described as a just man, one who is righteous in the sight of God, in the midst of a multitude of self-righteous people who were going through the external motions of their religion. He was one of the believing remnant. We were told, or were told here, that he was waiting, and the tense of that verb indicates that this was his continual practice. This was the abiding thought in his mind, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, or the comfort of Israel, or we could read it, the hope of Israel. Now, what was the long-expected hope of Israel? Well, you know the answer. The Messiah, the Deliverer, the one promised from the beginning, the seed of the woman who would bruise the serpent's head and bring comfort to those who mourn and who are afflicted over their sins the one progressively revealed throughout the Old Testament Scripture, and yet whose role or what he would come to do was altered 
and so often misunderstood by the many in Simeon's day. For the prevalent thought at that time is that the Messiah would come and bring about political freedom, emancipation from Roman bondage. That he would come and set up an earthly kingdom in which the rites and rituals of the old economy with all the trimmings and the trappings of an established priesthood and temple would be practiced with liberty and the Shekinah glory would come again to Jerusalem. And yet the many did not realize, they did not understand that the glory of God had appeared in the temple in the form of that little babe carried in the arms of Mary, but Simeon knew. He had a personal disclosure. His eyes were open. His understanding was open. His heart had been opened by the Lord. It was revealed unto him that this little babe was the Christ of God, the consolation, the hope, the comfort of Israel. Now this would have been not known by him, except it was made known unto him and disclosed to him by the Lord. And we thought about that last Lord's Day morning. The shepherds, they would have not known about the little babe born in Bethlehem, except it was made known unto them by the Lord through the angels. And this was a personal disclosure of the Savior of the world to this man Simeon. And this is what needs to happen to the sinner if they are to be justified. They need the Lord to make Himself known unto them. They need a personal encounter, you sinner. You need a personal encounter with the living Christ. Now we see this a number of times in the New Testament. We could think of Nathaniel in John chapter 1. And the Lord made himself known unto him by the revelation that he knew all about him. He knew what he was doing in his back garden as he was sitting under the tree and he saw him coming towards him and he called him by his name. What about Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9? He was a man who knew a lot about Jesus of Nazareth. He persecuted those who were his disciples, but it was on the road to Damascus that Jesus made himself personally known unto Saul as the Lord of glory. Sinner, you're in here tonight and you know much about Jesus of Nazareth as you find him recorded in the pages of a book. You can recite, you can call to your mind the many facts and details, the events of his life, maybe even some of his sayings, but you have never, never had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't like leaning or using personal examples. But I remember the night so clearly that I met the Lord, that the Lord made Himself known unto me. You see, as a boy, I had all my Christian privilege. I knew the story. Tell me the story of Jesus. Well, I knew it, and I knew the gospel like the back of my hand. But that night, the Lord made Himself known unto me. A revelation that He is the God of heaven. He spoke to me so clearly through His Word. My eyes and my understanding was opened to behold the cross by faith, and I viewed not a Savior that died for sin, but rather I viewed my Savior who died for my sin. Sinner, that's what you need. You need the Lord to reveal this unto you. And that's what happened to Simeon. 
Simeon had this revelation. He knew the wallers were there, the multitudes were there. He had placed his eyes upon the salvation, the consolation, the comfort of Israel. It says here that Simeon, he was just and devout. He was justified, he was declared righteous in the sight of God. And he was so, not because he attended the temple, but rather because his faith was in the hope of Israel Christ. That was the object of his faith. That's the only way in which a person can be justified in God's sight. That was the great rediscovered doctrine of the Protestant Reformation, that sinners are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And it was because he was just that he was devout. It wasn't Simeon's devotedness that led to his righteousness. The Holy Ghost has the order here, and for a good purpose. This was a just man and devout. You see, that's the fallacy of many today. Oh, they're all so devoted. And their religious practices and exercises are all so sincere, but they do not know that no man is justified by the deeds of the law. That's not how righteousness is obtained. And yet that's how many are striving to obtain their righteousness. They're all so devoted. But it wasn't this man's devotedness that led to his righteousness. He had an imputed righteousness because his faith was in the consolation of Israel. Now we're not told how or when or where Simeon came to faith. But we do know by the fact that we're focused in on him by the Holy Spirit that he had a personal disclosure. The scales fell off his eyes. The veil that was upon his mind as he read the Old Testament Scripture was taken away by faith in Christ. His mind that was blinded and darkened had become enlightened and illuminated. Having this personal saving disclosure well, it led to a further, further disclosure given unto him by the Lord. And that's what we read there in verse 26. It tells us there, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God had made as well known unto this man. That communion and fellowship that had been ruined by the fall and destroyed by sin, had been restored. And the Lord told Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Christ of God. I wonder, do you know the Lord speaking to you? Does the Lord reveal His will unto you? Does He make personal disclosure to you as He did to this man? Simeon, He told him he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. How long Simeon had to wait for the fulfillment of that revelation from the Lord, we do not know. But God was faithful to His Word. God brought it to pass. God is always working to bring His will to pass. And child of God, let that encourage you. If the Lord has given you some personal disclosure, some revelation, some promise concerning your family or something in your life, well, you be like Simeon. You keep watching and waiting for what has been personally disclosed to you because God is good to His Word. A personal disclosure. Secondly, tonight we have a peaceful departure. 
And we have that in verses 27 to 29. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us now thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Now this is a good way to come to God's house, child of God. In fact, this is the only way to come to God's house. The Holy Ghost was upon him, and he came by the sense, or, or by the Spirit. He didn't come by a sense of duty or drudgery, but by the Spirit. Here's a man of whom it could be said that he was glad when they said unto him, Let us go into the house of God. Now, is that how you and I have come to God's house tonight? Surely we can take from this portion that it's when we come in such a manner, then we too shall see Christ. Granted, not with our eyes, because He's now in heaven, but in and through the Word. It was when John was upon the Isle of Patmos, and he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, that he had a vision, he had a revelation of the glorified Christ. And God's people, we often pray we would see Jesus. But if we're not in the Spirit, if we have grieved the Holy Spirit by our sin, if there's a spirit of disgruntledness within our hearts, well then we can't expect this prayer to be fulfilled. If we're only coming to the church out of a sense of duty and drudgery and not with this uh, aspect upon our lives, I get to go. It's not I must go, but I get to go. I get to worship my God. Well then we can't expect to have that prayer fulfilled we would see Jesus. It's when we come by the Spirit, with the Spirit of God upon us, then, in the Word, you and I as God's people will see Jesus. And that's what will happen. But the Holy Ghost is upon Simeon here. He was moved by the Spirit to go to the temple, and there he saw Christ. Now nothing has told us concerning Simeon's approach to this little family. I wonder how it all took place. I wonder what he said as he made known unto them the revelation that God had given unto him. Mary and Joseph, I'm sure by this stage, were getting used to the strange and unusual, for this was no ordinary child. Now some find support for their theory that Simeon was a priest by the fact that he took the child up in his arms. But again, we cannot be dogmatic about that. But by faith, Simeon embraced Christ. And now he literally embraces the Christ child as he takes him up in his arms. That's what it tells us there. Then took he him up in his arms. Now, what is interesting with this word took? It means to accept with a deliberate and ready reception of what is offered. To receive kindly, and so to take to oneself what is presented or brought by another. And by that we can imply that Simeon, he didn't just walk up and grab the child out of Mary's arms. There must have been some sort of communication for Mary to willingly offer the babe to Simeon to take and embrace him in his own arms. Sinner, 
Tonight, once again, Christ is presented. Christ is brought to you in the gospel. And you need to do as Simeon did and embrace him. You need to stretch out the hand of faith. And with deliberate and ready reception, receive the Christ of God as He's offered in the gospel to you. Simeon held that little boy in his arms. He blessed God. He spoke well of God. He thanked God. He praised God. And all who will receive Christ will do the exact same thing. They'll bless the God of heaven for sending the one who is the Savior of the world. Well, I challenge you again, have you done that? You are responsible to receive Christ. As He is presented in the gospel week after week, as He's offered out to you. This is what it says here. This is this word took. It wasn't He walked up and grabbed. There must have been communication. Mary must have willingly stretched Him out to Him. And responsibility lay upon Simeon to take him and to embrace him. And the same responsibility lies upon you, sinner. As Christ is freely offered. You must stretch out by faith and take him. You're not going to fall into your lap or fall into your heart. I've said it before, you're not going to stumble into salvation. You need to exercise faith. And reach out and embrace Jesus Christ. Then Simeon said, It was then as he held that child that he said, Lord, now let us now thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. You will someday save the Lord's return. We will all leave this scene of time. Death will come. It's a departure. Death is a departure. It's not the end of an existence. It is leaving one place. It is going to another. And the Apostle Paul, he used the same word as he spoke of his own transition from one world to the next. He wrote to young Timothy, The time of my departure is at hand. The loosening of the moorings of the ship of his life had come and he was about to set sail upon the sea of death and into eternity and Simeon's time for departure had come but this man was ready to go. How soon after this that he died we do not know. And how soon the time of our departure will come we do not know but this man was ready. In the original language, this is not so much a prayer, Lord, now let us now thy servant depart in peace, but rather it's a praise. Some have called it Simeon's song. He faced the prospect of death and what lay beyond, where he was going and who he would be with, with what? With joy, without trepidation. He was able to depart in peace, for he had peace with God. When it comes your time to depart, your time will come. The departure date's already set by God. When it comes your time to depart this world, let me ask you, will you depart in peace? Will you have a peaceful or a petrified departure? 
when the death bell tolls for you, will terror fill your soul? Have you an assured joy within, as this man had, as to what lies beyond the grave for you? Does the thought of standing before the Lord fill you with delight or dread? The only way to depart in peace is to have peace with God. And the only way to have peace with God, the Scripture plainly tells us, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by the blood of His cross that sinners have peace with God, for it's there at the cross He was punished for sin on His own, and there He quenched the fiery wrath of God by the shedding of His blood. It's through that work alone sinners are reconciled unto God. That's how you depart in peace. There's no other way that someone can leave this scene of time in a peaceful manner. James Guthrie, while at St. Andrew's University, he came under the, the godly influence of Samuel Rutherford, and in 1638 he became a Presbyterian minister. In spite of love for his country and loyalty to his king, he was hated by some for his staunch witness for the truth. He was charged with high treason. He was found guilty and he was sentenced to a martyr's death. His speech upon the scaffold was long and moving. And before he died, he lifted the napkin from off his face and he cried, "This the covenants, the covenants shall yet be Scotland's revival. Now let thy servant depart in peace, since mine eyes have seen thy salvation. What confidence, what joy that man had in death, for he knew he was ready, as the time for his departure had come. And that leads me on to my third point this evening, for not only have we there that personal disclosure, and a peaceful departure. But we have a prophetic description in verses 30 to 32. For he says, Therefore mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon here acknowledged that salvation was off and belonged to the Lord. He uses the personal pronoun there, thy, thy salvation. Salvation's not in a church. Salvation's not in a creed. Salvation's not in ceremonies. Salvation's in Christ. Salvation is off the Lord. And the first mention that we have in the Word of God of the, the word salvation is in Genesis 49. In the verse 18, there Israel, you know the scene, he's blessing his sons. And he says there in verse 18, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. And this is what Simeon had been doing. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the interesting thing is that the Hebrew word for salvation there in Genesis 49, 18 is the word Yeshua. And the Greek equivalent is what we have for Jesus. Simeon, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, he says that God had prepared him 
who is the salvation of His people before the face of all people. What does that mean? Well, this is something. Salvation, that is, by grace through Christ, is something that God had designed and purposed from before the foundation of the world. The salvation of a people was eternally upon the heart of God, and He brought His will to pass through all the ages of time. Preserving Noah and his family from a worldwide flood by an ark. The calling of Abraham. The preservation of Jacob's family in Egypt by Joseph. The deliverance by the ten plagues. The wanderings in the wilderness. The triumphs by, uh, by, by Joshua. The establishing of David's kingdom, the witness of the prophets, the return from Babylonian exile, the rise and the fall of the different empires, bringing about the establishment of the Greek language and Roman infrastructure, the decree of Caesar Augustus, all these things were under God's control. God had prepared, God had preserved, God had ordered all things. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law. God had prepared the scene for redemption to be accomplished. And this is a plan of God. This he did for all people. That is the Jew and the Gentile, as verse 32 so wonderfully puts it. For Christ is a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. And this was something that was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. And we read about that at the start of the meeting. Isaiah 42, a light to lighten the Gentiles. You see, the Gentiles were shrouded with the darkness of ignorance and superstition. And the Jews, though having a knowledge, whereas all men sinners and they fell short of God's glory, but Christ came a light into the world. Christ is the light of the world. And the darkness of God is dispelled in the face of Jesus Christ because He is God manifest in the flesh. He's the one who fulfilled the great prophecy of Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light and they that dwelt in the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. He never fell short of the glory of God. He alone lived the life of perfect righteousness. He did what the Jewish people failed to do, which was keep the law of God perfectly. Inwardly, outwardly. Both the spirit and the letter of that law. This is something that you and I could never do. Oh, there's so much we could say here concerning this verse of Simeon's song, A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. It's salvation through Christ. It's something that God prepared from eternity through all the millennia of history. And I challenge you again, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ in it? Can you not see that Christ's rejection must cause the utmost offense to God 
who has prepared this salvation from all eternity, who has ordered all the events and the aspects of time to bring His Son into the world, that He might die on the cross. Can you not see that to reject Christ must be the utmost offense to a holy God and must incur, must incur the most severest wrath? Has the light of the gospel shined into the darkness of your heart to give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Can you say of Christ, can you say tonight that He is my light and my glory? The prophetic description. Finally, and briefly, we have a piercing division. That's what we have in verses 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I don't have time to develop this fully, but I will summarize what Simeon says here. Christ, listen, Christ would be the dividing line. How one thinks of Christ is a great line of division between all men. John Newton penned in his hymn, What Think Ye of Christ is the Test. Let's take out the parenthesis, that which is in the brackets, and let's read it like this. And this is what Christ would be and still is. What it says there at the end of verse 34. This is what Christ would be in His day and still is today. A sign which shall be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. How many in Christ's day by their words and their actions and response to Him revealed the condition of their heart. They hated Him. They hated God. They hated righteousness. They hated light. They hated truth. They hated holiness. They loved their sin. They loved darkness. They loved falsehood. They loved wickedness. And it's still the same today. But Mary, and for those who love Him, His sufferings pierces their soul. Our tears flowed when we saw Him hanging there upon the tree. It still wounds us now when we hear him evil spoken of, when his name is taken as a curse word or his word and his law is dishonored. Yes, it is Christ. And what, what one thinks of him that is a great dividing line on that great judgment day as to whether you're on the right hand of God, an inheritor of eternal glory, or whether on your left hand of God and told to depart into everlasting darkness prepared for the devil and his angels. Christ, and what you think of him, and what you do with him, is a discerner of the condition of your heart. That's what we're told here. He would reveal how men responded to him. If men loved him, if men embraced him, if men cherished him and obeyed him and served him, he would reveal. The thoughts of many hearts. What will it be, sinner? We've come to the end of another year. 
And we've come to the end of another gospel meeting. And what you do with Christ, what you think of Him. Now you might say, well, you know, I don't think ill of Christ. I really don't. I have respect for the gospel. And I wouldn't say a bad word. Well, I tell you, friend, you might think that. You might say that. But you not realize the offense you're giving to Him by walking away from Him every night. It's a revelation of your heart. It is a revelation of what you truly think of Jesus Christ. So I ask you, what's it going to be tonight, sinner? As Christ is presented, He's stretched out the best I can, as clearly as I can, with all the passion in my heart, as the Lord has given the Word, and I believe the Word is given. What are you going to do? Are you going to take Him to yourself? Going to deliberately and readily receive the Christ that's offered to you, as Simeon did? What will it be? Decision time. What you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Be like Simeon. Embrace Him. Receive Him. You then will be just you will be able to depart this world in peace. And you will be an inheritor of eternal glory. Christ, our light and glory. May you be able to say, Christ, He's my light. He's my salvation. He's my strength. He's my song. He is my glory. May the Lord bless His word to all who have heard it. Let's bow in prayer. And let's just still ourselves before the Lord. Before I pray, I just make myself available as God's servant. Maybe God's been dealing with you, not maybe just tonight, but over past weeks, months, maybe the last year. And you want to be saved. You want to settle the matter tonight. Well, the Reverend Greer and myself were available. It's our delight. It's our joy. It's what we long to do. To open up the book and to bow the cross with sinners as they confess their great need of Him. And so we just leave before you that opportunity to come to speak to us. Take it tonight. And come and embrace Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for those who have brought to the temple, to the house of God this evening. And we pray, O oh Father, that they would have seen Jesus, that the veil would have been taken away from their mind. And they would behold the one who, has, who is the consolation, who is the hope and the comfort, not only of Israel, but of the Gentiles. O oh God, we pray, and we know that it is thy salvation. So we pray, Father, as thy people, that thou would apply the word, that you would convict sinners, you would give them an understanding of these things, not only an understanding, but an urgency to get the matter sorted, to have their sins washed away in his precious blood. And so, blessed Spirit, do thy work. Father, Lord, we pray for thy people that they would know the grace 
of the Lord Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit as their abiding portion, both now and forevermore. Remember thy people in 2024. It is veiled from us. It is known to thee. Lord, we thank thee we can place ourselves in thine hands and in thy keeping. So do our hearts good. Bless the word to the salvation of the lost. This I asked in the Savior's worthy and his precious name. Amen.